0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Spooniepreneur podcast. I'm Nicole Nier, an ex-social worker turned CEO of a virtual support agency. My passion is helping those of us living with chronic illness to see how entrepreneurship can help us pay the bills, find a sense of purpose, and build a flexible life that allows us to balance it all. On this podcast, I'm talking with business owners from all walks of life to learn how they're running their businesses. I'm also going to take you behind the scenes into how I run a six figure business while living with fibromyalgia, bipolar disorder, irritable bowel syndrome, and anxiety. If you are a spooniepreneur or thinking about starting a business, you are in the right place. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Spooniepreneur podcast. I absolutely love the people that I get to meet by running this podcast. And I cannot wait for you to hear my interview with Kim Curry. Kim had a successful 33-year radio broadcaster and programmer career. He was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis at age 50 and forced into retirement. So obviously his life dramatically changed. He became the guy that people gravitated towards to the person that people moved away from because of his wheelchair. His story really highlights what it costs to be disabled in America and how we can pivot our lives to tell a different story. Kim is now a published author. In his books, he tells his story and other stories. So this is an amazing conversation. I love Kim's insights on what it looks like to pivot in our lives and how we can take something that feels really devastating and create um, a new reality that is very, very satisfying. So let's just dive right in. Hey, everybody. I am here with Kim Curry today. How
1: are you today? I'm doing very well, Nicole. And how are you today?
0: I'm good. I'm good. So I am really interested in your story because you had this experience where you were a radio broadcaster, and then MS happened. So, step me through kind of that journey and what that looked like and felt like for you.
1: Okay, Nicole, I'm I'm going to go at it a, a little differently. Love what it. What part of the planet are you on?
0: I am in. Where are you? I am in Ohio, so the Midwest of the United States.
1: I see. I see. I'm in Loveland, Colorado. Uh, Mm -hmm. The mountains are right over there, Uh but I can't see them because of all this smoke that's over our state. We're having our own fires out here. We've got some really bad fires. We had uh, one of our worst ones, though, got 14 inches of snow on it. And and you would think that would have put that fire out, but it didn't. Wow. It's pretty Uh weird. So that's where I am. I just want to know where you were, just so I can get an idea of what's going on here. Well... Michelle, listen, um, I'm, I'm sorry, Nicole, I've got 13 people on my mind here. So, Nicole, um, I was on the radio for 33 years in America. When I was 17, my father got me started. Uh, he was a news guy at my hometown radio station. Mm-hmm. And then I went on the radio and had 33 years of a really fun radio career. I got to work on some of the most influential radio stations in the 70s. And then ended up the last nine years of my radio career, I got to run one of those radio stations and made it more successful than it had ever been. So I've had a really good time on the radio, but, uh, 1999, uh, do you remember the tsunami in 1999? It was the first time we'd ever seen anything like that. We were all on the TV watching the tsunami because I mean, people, it, the world was getting wiped away in the tsunami. We'd never seen that before. Um, During that particular Christmas holiday, I had had my wife and my kids out to Colorado to visit my mother, and she was mesmerized by what was going on on TV. Didn't even know what the word tsunami meant. So during that time, when I was getting ready to leave, to go back home to Miami, uh, my mother said, there's something wrong with you. You don't look right. Mm. And I didn't wish, I kept telling your mother I'm under incredible stress. I have one of the most important jobs in America on the radio. I've got a very big radio station. The tsunamis got me upset. That's why I don't look right. And she said, Nope, there's something else. And within the next month, there was something else. I, I couldn't walk straight. Um started having really bad pains in my shoulders and I got vision problems. I couldn't see out of my right eye. And through that, um, Ended up five months later being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and then being forced into retirement because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going down really hard and very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, MS had been lingering in my body my whole life. I just didn't know what it was. Yeah. I had some really crazy things happen to me that uh, that I kind of just thought was just the flu or something, you know, mm-hmm. Um At one time, in fact, it's in my book, my memoir, Come Get Me Mother, I'm Through. I tell this story when I was working in Washington, D.C. on the radio. I had a feature on my show called Bed Check. And Bed Check, I was on at night. And at 10 o'clock at night, all you had was little kids at every Mm -hmm. radio station I'd ever worked at. I always had little kids. But in Washington, D.C., at 10 o'clock at night, The politics took over my bed check. It was no longer a a show where where kids could call in and make jokes about their friends and their teachers. Suddenly, it was political and it Mm. got really crazy. But I had some guy call me one night on the radio and he said, my name is Frank DeFramer. I'm over here at the White House and I've got President Reagan sitting here listening to your bed check. And I was like, you're crazy. And I hung up on it. Ah. And, and uh, so he kept calling back and saying, hello, it's Frank DeFramer over here at the White House, because I thought it was just a kid joking around or something. Right. Well, one time I got him off the air and I said, listen, man, seriously, who are you? What are you talking about? So, well, my name is Frank DeFramer. I can't tell you my last name, but my official position at the White House is I frame the portraits. That's my job. I'm Frank DeFramer of the portraits at the White House. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. So I had a friend at the White House. <laughs> so time went on and I had a friend come to town, uh, the mother of a friend that I knew. And the mother knew that I had this connection to the White House and she was insisting, you've got to get me in the White House. I want to go take a tour. So on the day, now you've got to remember, it was just after President Reagan's assassination attempt, mm. but there was no change in the security around the White House. You could still just drive right up. Wow. So I, I didn't know where to go. And I'm driving around the White House trying to pick a door, a, a road to go into. And I saw one that looked like it went right to the side. Mm-hmm. So I got in my, I just drove right over. And as I start going up, I start seeing men coming out of everywhere. And ah. they've got guns. And they're all pointing guns at my right. car. And I'm like, whoa, wait, but I keep driving because I was I was Frank DeFramer said, just tell them just tell them you're here and you're here to see me. They'll be they'll know you're coming. But I didn't know that. So I'm driving up and these guys have got their guns out on me. And as I'm as I open the door to say, I'm Kid Curry, I'm here for Frank DeFramer, they all, hey, hey kid, what's up? You know, it's like this. But then when I went to go step out of the car. Everything on the right side of my body stopped working my mm. eye, my shoulder, my leg, and I fell to the ground. And they had to, they were talking about getting me a wheelchair and everything. But what that was was that was an MS exacerbation. MS is sometimes spurred on by stress. And mm. when I look back on my life, at the most stressful points of my life, it was flaring up. I just didn't know what it was. Right. Apparently, it all culminated uh, right around the tsunami. It all culminated, and it wouldn't stop, and it didn't stop. So I was forced into retirement um, about five months after I figured out that there was something going on. And so that devastation of, you know, going from a really cool job and being the guy everybody used to rotate towards because, you know, it's Kid Curry. Let's go see that guy. They gravitated towards me all the time. And then over time, you know, I became the guy people – Kind of shied away from because I end up with the cane and then on crutches and then mm. in a wheelchair. Right. So the mental change of all of that really is uh, it was it was hard to deal with for a long time. So, Nicole, I should probably stop and say, do you have any questions? Because <laughs> I'll just keep going.
0: <laughs> no, I'm really, You know, a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs, people who kind of had to make that shift themselves and try to find purpose after the, the diagnosis or after the illness that kind of stopped the career that they mm-hmm. thought they were going to have. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that transition for you and how you kind of dealt with that retirement, that forced retirement and found purpose in something else.
1: Yes, ma'am. Well, um, I was for 10 years, you know, when I first got MS, there was only one drug that I could know that was actually, no, I'm sorry. There were about three that were out there. But in the ensuing 10 years, about five or six, maybe seven showed up. And I was on one specific drug the first, oh, five or six years. And my condition continued to degrade. Uh, My doctor decided it was time for a medicine change. And through the medicine change and surprisingly enough, uh, intense vitamin D intake mm. my doctor who is an author and, and is a, a specialist on multiple sclerosis uh, has a thing in his head where he says he believes that the vitamin D that MS patients lack all MS patients lack vitamin D levels he says he thinks the vitamin D if you take a lot of it it helps the medicine go into your system mm. better or something you know it's right. a doctor talk I don't right know. Uh, but For six months, I fought him on it. I said, what's a vitamin going to do? Because I'm, geez, I'm 65, ma'am. I've been around a long time. I remember them saying, oh, vitamin C will take care of that cold. Well, it never really did. Nobody ever had any proof. So I didn't have any proof that a vitamin would do anything. But after... Six months of fighting them, and then my wife finally saying, Stop fighting and start taking them. I was taking massive amounts, 5,000 IUs a day. Uh And in about six months, along with the medicine chain, suddenly we noticed my condition leveling off. Mm. I wasn't degrading as fast. So when that happened, um, another strange moment in my life happened when a very famous guy in the music industry. Uh, His name is Vince Pellegrino. Vince, you know, you see the Grammys. Uh, Those awards are given to people that are the musicians. Well, those people wouldn't have those Grammys if it weren't for a crew of people who get those songs on radio stations for them. Mm -hmm. So my friend Vince Pellegrino used to give out awards to those guys and it was a big big ceremony you'd see the grammys but nobody ever saw the the si of the street information network awards nobody ever saw those but it was a big thing in the industry well 10 years goes by and i disappear from my job Mm -hmm. and then 10 years goes by and suddenly i get a call at my house after i've had this change in my condition and my friend vince says you know what man I need you to come to my next award ceremony. I want to give you a lifetime achievement award. Mm. And, you know, after, not, after being kicked out because of my condition, after having everything in my mind taken away from me, mm. I really needed to hear from him. I mean, it really helped me. I, I was in need. And so I went out to the award ceremony saw people I hadn't seen for 10, 12 years. Uh, They gave me this award and uh, it was standing ovation. I got to relive my radio life again. Mm -hmm. And then four months after that, my friend died. Oh, wow. I did not know. I did not know at the time that he was suffering from a severe cancer. I could see something was wrong. And but then before the evening was over, he he took me aside and said, I'm going to die. And I don't want you to sit back the rest of your life and not do something. You need to come back. And then, like I said, four months later, he passes away. So it was that moment where I started going, wait a minute, man, I've got to wake up. Now, I had already been out of the radio music industry for 10 years. I couldn't do anything for anybody. I don't know anything about this. Well. It's completely changed from when I was in it but it made me think I needed to do something. I needed to get out and start recreating me. So I've decided to write that story. I decided to, maybe I should just tell the story of my career, getting diagnosed, how I got ripped out of the business, how hard it hit me for 10 years. MS was a mother for me for 10 years and how the medicine changed and how my friends said, you know what? You got to brush yourself off. Let's get back to work. And so I wrote my memoir to kind of, uh, you know, tell that story. And because radio guys are storytellers, but we don't know how to write, (laughs) I actually had to hire a a writing coach. I I hired a woman here in Northern Colorado. Uh, She actually, at the time, had founded the Northern Colorado Writers Association, and she worked. In fact, when I found her, she said, well, I'm busy. You, for the next six months, you read these books and you'll learn how to write a lot better when you read these books. And she gave me a book called The Cat Strikes Back. Oh, man, I've missed the title. Oh, no, I should have. I'm sorry, I should have that. But something about the cat strikes back and it explains how you're supposed to write a story and weave all the side stories back into the spine. You can tell all the side stories, but it's all got to come back to the spine. So six months after I found her, we finally get together. She explains to me what this book meant, what these things were trying to say. I start researching for the next six months mm-hmm. to put everything together for the story. And then I wrote for six months. So, in about a year and a half, it finally got completed. And I, you know, released the book and got up to number 11 on the Amazon general broadcasting list, Howard Stern's number one. I was number 11. <laughs> I love it. So, it did, so it ended up being a pretty good story. But the, but the whole, the star of the story, though, is my wife. Mm. Because you know, she was my date at the Grammys. She would go to the Grammys with me. And mm. so she was kind of like there for me as my partner. But then suddenly within a matter of like a week, she was in charge. Mm. And, and that was, and I. but I had always told her that I wanted her to find something that she could do that she wanted to do for herself. And we ended up becoming property investors. She ended up becoming a real estate agent setting records in the state of Colorado, uh, has now become what they, what is known as a maps coach. She now, uh, coaches people who sell Mm -hmm. at least a hundred. She won't, she can't take a client less, unless they sell more than a hundred houses a a, a year. Mm -hmm. So she takes big time clients and teaches them how to, how to sell houses. But during, through this time, she has done everything she can to, to to keep me above water, keep my brain above water. Uh, she spares no expense. It costs to be disabled in America. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I, I I have a wheelchair in my house. It's motorized. But if I want to leave my house, I have to have a vehicle that can either take the wheelchair in or a contraption on the back of the car to put the wheelchair on, or I can buy another wheelchair, a manual wheelchair. So. We bought the manual wheelchair instead of trying to buy another vehicle. But this all comes out of your pocket. Yep. Um, and, and the process to, to get the driver's license for my hand controls in my car is a, is a total funny story. It's in the book. I don't want to bore you now. <laughs> but no one's really ever prepared for a guy to go to the DMV and say, I'm here to test for hand controls. That never happens. Mm-hmm. And it took the whole process took six weeks when I first went there <laughs> until I finally got certified. Um, so it's, it, it's really tough uh, to go from where I was to where I am. But believe me, um, this, this whole thing here, uh, this writing, the, being able to tell stories, learning how to tell my memoir, to write my memoir, led me into my second book, which is a, a story that my dad and I kind of played with. You know, he got me started when I was 17 years old. He was a news guy, stayed at the radio station, uh, and I went off and had my big-time radio career. Mm-hmm. But in, in 1987, President Ronald Reagan rescinded what they called the Fairness Doctrine. Now, that was the doctrine that demanded equal time for contrasting points of view. To make it simple, mm-hmm. if someone said the president was from Kenya for 15 minutes, any citizen in America had the right to go to that TV or radio station and say, I need 15 minutes now to prove that that was a lie. Mm. It was equal time for contrasting points of view. Well, the corporations, the broadcasting corporations realized that with all the lies that were being told on their facilities, they were having to give all this free time to people to debate the facts. They got to Reagan and said it's costing us too much money. And so he rescinded the fairness doctrine. And I believe it's responsible for all the vitriol we have in america today hmm, yeah. because when you can when you can spew any kind of conspiracy theory or lie without debate you have made lies legal and i believe that has made the vitriol we have in america today so that's my second book which is put me right now in the middle of my third book the protagonist is from my second book she is going to come in and try to get the fairness doctrine back so it's um writing has become my new passion. I love doing it. I love putting myself in scenarios where I've got to come up with, I mean, how does a guy like me, an old white guy, an old 65-year-old man, how do I come up with a story about a young four-year-old girl who has what they call eidetic memory, Mm. which is the memory that the great chess masters use to memorize hundreds, if not thousands, of different offensive and defensive moves for the chessboard. This four-year-old little girl already has that. And I put myself in that scenario to be able to write the story. So it's fun for me, man. What I used to, you know, in radio stations, I bled radio. You can't run the biggest radio station in Miami, Florida without it being your only concern. Um, So now, instead of taking that and doing that I just switched it over to doing this. I think about my writing all the time and it's really fun. So that's what I do.
0: I love it. And so one of the things I'm really interested in when people come on the show is just the process of showing up. And in your case, writing with, you know, with all of the things that come with MS, with all of the appointments and and all the things you have going on and just the days you don't really feel like writing. So how do you navigate all that? (laughs)
1: Uh, Very good. Thanks for asking. (laughs) Um, we have a saying in MS land. Uh, I know I look good. Wait till I stand up. (laughs) You know, we, we, each, each MS patient has their own MS. Um, my MS, because it's lesions on your brain, it, it affects the part of the body that the lesion is on. So my legs in particular, my legs are constantly in motion. They, they move constantly. I take a lot of medicine to stop them from moving. And another thing that happens with multiple sclerosis is short-term memory. I think I forgot our question. I'm sorry. Sorry. What did you ask me?
0: We're just talking about the process of writing on days when you just don't feel like writing or, yeah.
1: So there are days, in fact, you know, these medicines that we MS patients take are very strong. I mean, the reactions I have sometimes after I take the medicine are debilitating and take me 24 hours to get over. And. It's funny that I can go months without a reaction and suddenly it'll happen. It's happened like three times in the past six months. It didn't happen a year before that. Mm -hmm. And there are times when I just don't feel like doing anything. But, you know, to me, compared to the work that I was doing, I can always get to the computer and type. You know, I may not feel like it. And I can also tell you that there are times when all of that sparks different parts of my thought process. I can be way down and I can think of a part of a story and it kind of picks me up. So it's tough some days, but this is what my, this is how I live now this is my wife and I have this thing that we talk about all the time. This is our life. We will deal with it.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: I deal with it the best I possibly can.
0: I love that. And so if people want to read your books, yes, ma'am. how can they find you?
1: I have a website it's krcurry.com that's k r c u r r y.com um and you can find all about the two books there i also blog i i i'm an opinionated kind of guy sometimes and i tell little stories in my blogs and you know i'm always looking for input i like communicating with the people that that you know you got to know that there's really something about having your book come out and then in an appearing at number 11 on Amazon. I couldn't believe it. I worked really hard on that. And, and, you know, it's been a long time since I've been on the radio. And I was in Washington, D.C., Baltimore, San Antonio, Knoxville, Pueblo, Colorado, and Miami for 25 years. So, there are people out there that still kind of remember but I didn't, I couldn't believe it. Number 11, whew, my mother was very proud. <laughs> so krcurry.com for Come Get Me, Mother, I'm Through, and for The Death of Fairness, which tells the story of what happened after Ronald Reagan rescinded the Fairness Doctrine in 1987. It's a story about a little town and what happened to that little town. Kind of crazy, but it's a true story. It really kind of happened.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Listen, Nicole, I really enjoyed it myself. And uh, if there's anything you ever need from me, please let me know. I'd be more than happy to help you out. Okay.
0: That sounds great. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Nicole.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Spooniepreneur Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with your friends and don't forget to rate and review it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're looking to build a business that runs on word of mouth referrals, and who doesn't, head on over to www.resilientbusinesstoolkit to check out my free masterclass teaching you to build a marketing plan that drives word of mouth referrals into your inbox every month. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week.